HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Erica Wise, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning and welcome to Inside School Food, where people working in K-12 through food service talk about uh, tough topics uh, that really mattered and progressive solutions that really work. Uh, I'm Laura Stanley, and I'm really pleased to have my first guest live in the studio today, uh, Stephen O'Brien, who is Director of Food and Menu Management at New York City School Food, is here with me. Hi, Steve. Good morning. Uh, and I'm equally excited about our second guest. Uh, Dora Rivas is Executive Director of Dallas Independent School District's Food and Child Nutrition Services, and she's joining us today on the line. Good morning, Dora. Yes, good morning. So um, Steve and Dora are here to introduce us to some of the work they're doing together um, with leaders in four additional very large school districts, uh, Los Angeles, Chicago, Miami-Dade, and Orlando. Um, they formed a group called the Urban School Food Alliance, which is pursuing a mixed agenda of highly practical and highly idealistic goals, which I'm excited to talk about. Um, and, and there's a lot to talk about, including this amazing trip that um, uh, uh, some of you just made to absorb school food service in France. So I'm really eager to get to it. But first, I need to tell listeners a little bit about both you guys. Um, Dora, I'll start with you. Um, you've been in Dallas since 2005, uh, overseeing a department of 1,300 employees, serving more than 164,000 meals a day at more than 200 sites. So that's big. Um, and prior to Dallas, you were uh, served in school food service in Brownsville, Texas, for 27 years. Um, you're a national figure in school food, having served as national president for the school nutrition Association not that long ago in 2009-10, and you remain very active in SNA, and uh, I'd say you're widely respected as a dietitian and a very accomplished business leader. 
Um, and Steve, uh, fellow New Yorker, and I get to see you more often because you're here. Um, <laughs> and um, Steve has been with New York City School Food for 23 years, right? Um, and working uh, your way through leadership roles throughout the nation's largest and most complex institutional uh, food service provider that would be after the Department of Defense, right? So how many sites are we talking about, Steve? Um, there's about 1,800 schools in yeah, New York City. Zero. And how many children are we serving? Um, we offer service to 1.1 million students, and okay. we serve about 860,000 meals a day. Okay, big gulp. That's big. Okay. Um, Steve comes to school food with a culinary degree from Johnson & Wales and an MBA from New York City's own Baruch College. So it's pretty thrilling to have both of you on the show, and I'm sure there's a whole lot that our listeners would like to hear from each of you independently. But today I want to focus on why you're here together um, over your shared involvement with the Urban School Food Alliance. So let's start out by talking about exactly what it is. Uh, I don't know who wants to start. Ladies first. Dora? Um, well, yeah, we um, uh, actually had had been um, uh, visiting with each other, um, and we all had uh, networked at different times as uh, food service directors and, um, you know, met, um, uh, I think, a little over a couple of years ago to talk about how we could work together toward improving our the quality of our meals, how would we could collaborate on, um, you know, using our buying power to be able to get our, our costs down because of the volume of, of our, 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 our purchasing power. Uh, and then, um, you know, we're all very concerned about the environment. And so, um, you know, we started talking about, you know, how, how we could maybe, um, you know, leverage our, um, our, the size of our districts and, and be able to maybe impact on, on the environment by collaborating on, on ideas and on, um, you know, maybe concepts that we could do together that could end up taking off toward maybe improving the sustainability, not just in our, our districts, but in other districts as well. Right, right. And, and when you talk about impacts, it's, pretty huge. You know, Steve mentioned that there's 1.1 million children in New York City schools, and you've got a huge number in Dallas, but all together in the Urban School Food Alliance, how many uh, students, how many meals are we talking about? Yeah, as, as an alliance, um, you know, we have over 4,536 uh, schools, and uh, and so that, that would put our overall enrollment over uh, two million eight hundred students enrolled uh, in in our district. So, um, you know, our combined numbers are huge, and and so together we serve over four hundred and sixty nine million meals annually, and uh, and so you know the potential, uh, you know, for us to be able uh, to make um, a di- a difference. Um, through different initiative, you know, could be huge. And, you know, just our, our procurement um, uh, potential, you know, together um, we have over $552 million that we procure together uh, in food. And so, um, you know, we, we thought, you know, that being able to leverage 
the the buying power as as a group, um, you know, could have a tremendous uh, impact. Right, right. So, so Steve, that's a question for you. In, the, you, you. These large districts have a different kind of relationship with vendors than smaller ones, but but you're using on a lot of the same vendors that the smaller ones are. So how, how, what's different about your relationship with them, and how can that help all the boats to rise? Mm-hmm. So as you mentioned, the six largest districts, you know, do have quite a bit of the buying power, and we do um, have a lot of influence, especially with the national producers of food and suppliers of food. But all of us have a combination of things happening. We are supporting regional and local procurements within our areas, mm-hmm. as well as trying to be very good custodians of these national relationships that influence all of us as an industry for school meals. Mm-hmm. So as the Urban School Food Alliance, what's really wonderful and unique is that we have a loud voice. Um, being the largest cities, there's a lot of attention on us at all times. So when we're talking with manufacturers or suppliers, we're able to really have an open dialogue that is um, very meaningful. And I believe we're very um, motivating to the larger producers and suppliers because of the fact that our unified voice is going to um, help them to be successful partners with all school districts, not just Mm -hmm. the largest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd like to skip ahead to what it is you are starting with in terms of that leveraging that purchasing power. You've got two major initiatives underway right now, and one of them, you've got some big news that recently came out. Um, So let's start with that, the compostable plates. Okay. Okay. Um, So the Alliance, as Dora mentioned, started about two years ago, and one of the first things that we wanted to do was to, obviously we developed our relationships and built trust and, you know, started to uh, work together on what initiatives could we actually step out and procure together. And that isn't as easy as it sounds. We all come from very different political environments. We Mm -hmm. all had to deal with different procurement rules and laws, whether it was a local municipal law, a state law, or a federal law. And there was a lot that needed to be done just to get ourselves ready for the first buy, so to speak, together. Mm -hmm. And so once we got all of that worked out, we were very motivated in trying to change the image of the school meals program. Mm -hmm. Many school districts in the country still serve off of a rectangular plate or tray. Mm -hmm. Um, And so off of that rectangular tray, uh, some are able to be washed and some are and many are um, styrofoam or polystyrene. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to do two things. We wanted to change the image from a rectangular shape to a round plate, like we all eat on most of our meals. We eat on a round plate. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to go back to the plate and make a big statement that it's less institutional and it's more um, about the food itself. Mm -hmm. And we wanted it to be a sustainable uh, resource, that it was something that was able to be grown, obviously, the compostable materials we're using are from trees. And so we wanted to be in a situation where we were doing something that was sustainable for the environment. So we worked very closely with the Natural Resources Defense Council mm-hmm. um, to really uh, educate us on some of these different areas, whether it was the legal side of things or it was the sustainability side of things. Mm-hmm. And they helped us to define the specifications that we ultimately put out in a procurement. Mm-hmm. And once we did the procurement, We had decided that New York City would take the lead on the first procurement. So this procurement is actually being administered by the New York City public schools. We put the procurement on the street. We had bidders come to conferences and to ask questions. And then we had the bid close. 
And um, we're in the final stages now of ramping up for um, the manufacturer and the supplier to actually supply us with this compostable plate that meets all compostable standards, can be composted into various materials, doesn't have any plastic in it, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so um, that process probably took us a good year and a half out of the two years that we've been working together. But it's been an amazing journey because we actually now have set the mark for how we'll do future procurements and future buys um, together. And that's just one example of the way to do it. That's not the only way to make change. Right, right. I, I think that a year and a half is actually not a lot of time. Thank you. <laughs> Consider the size of this giant ship turning around. It's pretty exciting. Um, when are compostable plates going to be appearing? I, I understand New York City first, right? Well, I think we're trying to make sure that everybody gets some small amount to at okay. least introduce it as mm -hmm. soon as possible. But we're expecting full conversion within our cities by, by the new school year. Wow. So. Wow. And then in the other five alliance districts over time? Um, uh, we're hoping that everyone will be up and running for next fall. Wow. So, wow. yeah, no, and that's then, the goal. And then with that, there's going to need to be training um, in the cafeterias for the kids to know how to separate their trash and mm -hmm. all of that. So um, I'm looking forward to doing another episode on that. One good uh, thing that happened through this whole procurement is all of our cities now have started to discuss the ideas of what to do with the waste in the dining rooms. Mm -hmm. And so some of us are a little more uh, ahead of the curve as far as right. composting within their cities, et cetera. Some are not. Right. But now all of us are having that dialogue within our cities and municipalities to think about waste and where things are going downstream, yeah. which didn't happen prior to this discussion with the round plate. Right, right, right. So so the, dis the school districts can, can, districts can be driving change in, in the municipality, which is, is pretty neat. And I should just um, remind listeners that we did do an episode about the um, – uh, trash separation and, com and composting program in San Francisco schools, and I'm going to put a link to that episode on the episode page for, for today's episode because um, they that's a good example of what you're talking about, about the, the, the district and the city working together to make that happen. Um, so that's that's the one. And um, and you also, you should just mention the design of the plate. It's got, like, parts of the different <laughs> meal components of the you know, reimbursable uh, USDA meal, right? Well, as Dora and I and, and the other alliance members work together, um, it was really amazing. But students still do not want their food to touch each other. <laughs> the little ones, anyway. <laughs> the little ones, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So as a result, um, when we were doing our research and development with manufacturers, um, this product is not being made on the market, which is part of the reason why it's taking so long to get up and running. It's right. not like we're buying a compostable utensil, which is something we're doing shortly as well. Oh, um, cool. Okay. So what's happening is this is actually full innovation. It's mm -hmm. something that isn't made on the market. And so we worked with the manufacturer to go with the round concept, but we did keep five compartments mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons. One, primarily that the students wanted their food to be able to be separated and not touch each other as far mm -hmm. as flavors. Mm -hmm. But in addition, we have a meal pattern that requires five components. Mm -hmm. um, so we, as you know, in the school food program, have to offer the milk, the bread, the um, vegetable, the fruit, and the meat or the meat alternate mm -hmm. uh, protein source. So as a result, those five items need to be served, and it's a, also a way to sort of help to serve those items effectively. Right, right, right. I think the other thing in the design, we also had to keep in mind that children were carrying uh, mm -hmm. the, the round plate as opposed to what they were accustomed to. And so the design had to also facilitate students being able to balance the food items. So, you know, putting a heavier item toward the center of the plate, like the milk mm -hmm. carton, so that that way, um, you know, it also kind of reduces down the, the spillage as they m transition. Right, right. Yes, we should mention that there is a, a place in the middle for the milk. 
Yeah, it's very, right. very cool design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Um, so, and now, of course, our last week's episode was about this amazing work being done in California with institutional purchase of sustainably grown chicken. Um, and I know the Urban School Food Alliance is pursuing similar goals, um, and I'm really excited to hear what that is and where you are with it. Um, I don't know who wants to start. You go first, uh, Stephen, because I know you've been working more closely with the specifications. Sure. So, um, as you mentioned last week, you had a um, dialogue around the National Procurement Initiative, mm-hmm. which is started by School Food Focus. Correct. Yeah. And New York City Public Schools, as well as many of the Alliance um, districts, are part of the School Food Focus program. Mm-hmm. And um, we really worked with School Food Focus um, to garner the best research available regarding the supply of chicken and how we could possibly push the envelope on the quality of the chicken that we're providing to students. We also worked again with the Natural Resources Defense Council on antibiotic standards and animal welfare, et cetera, mm-hmm. and, um, and continue to do research with our largest partners in each of our districts directly with the manufacturers themselves. And through um, a lot of dialogue and a lot of research and a lot of consultation, um, we're in the process now of developing a standard for an antibiotic-free, never-ever chicken product line. So the idea would be, instead of doing a procurement like we did with the plates, where we're going to do an RFB, and it's going to go out for the industry to um, bid on, and then we're going to award it to one particular manufacturer, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. another way to go about making change is to set a standard that we would all adopt in future chicken contracts. Right. So the concept here is that we're going to uh, come out shortly, we hope, with a standard that will um, be very similar to the work that's being done in these other organizations Mm -hmm. um, so that we can all be working together to shift the industry away from the use of antibiotics um, in the uh, growth and the the promotion of chicken. So. So this will be a standard that we put out there. We're all going to agree to this standard, and then we're going to, in our future procurements, implement this standard, which will most likely start with reducing uh, the use of antibiotics Mm -hmm. through the therapeutic use only, and then leading to, at the end of your contract at the latest, um, an antibiotic-free line. So uh, some, a time that allows Quote, for unquote, antibiotic-free. Yeah, it should at, be never, ever. We should say, yeah, <laughs> raised without antibiotics is how I like to say it. But this is huge news, Steve and Dora, um, and, and really that these six enormous districts combined with the others that have already um, been doing this work are, are speaking together with this loud voice about antibiotic use and sustainable production practice. Um, you know, sh- you stand on high moral ground on this issue. So yes, we do. I thrilling. should also add that we um, also partnered with our government partners. Mm-hmm. You know, so the uh, United States Department of Agriculture and um, Agricultural Marketing Services. We mm-hmm. also consulted directly with them, even though other organizations have already done so. Right. Um, because really, none of this change can be done in a vacuum. Right. Um, we're doing what we can as the largest districts because we're very action oriented. Mm-hmm. We want to see change happen, not just have a lot of dialogue about it and wait and wait. We want to actually make the change occur, which is the unique position we're in as the directors who run this nonprofit organization of Urban School Food Alliance, but also are the ones that are able to make decisions on purchasing and making the decisions on the way we award right. our bids and contracts and standards. Right, right. right. So so let's, let's um, switch over to some of your policy positions. Um, the six districts recently signed together an op-ed, it was um, in early September, um, about what you're looking for um, as a group. Um, what can we talk about? Maybe, Dora, can you start with that? Um, well, I think one of the, you know, the exciting things that we have been doing as a group is, 
is sharing best practices. Um, you know, when when we get together and in the process of learning about compostable trays and antibiotic-free, um, you know, chicken, you know, we talk about you know what what is best for child nutrition, and so you know we we did you know, meet at one of our meetings and talk about, you know, what do we want to see, where, where do we want to see the direction of child nutrition go? And, you know, as as we, you know, uh, talked, you know, we we are very supportive of the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act mm-hmm. and, and the fact that um, the changes that, that um, you know, were made as a part of, of that reauthorization. And, and during that time is when I was serving as, as uh, SNA president. And, you know, we knew that we had uh, a big issue uh, with um, childhood obesity. We knew that um, children were not consuming um, an adequate um, uh, amount of certain nutrients specifically related to fr- fresh fruits and vegetables. So as, as we discussed these and as, as the, um, you know, reauthorization, you know, and USDA guidelines to implement the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act has taken place, you know, diff- different, um, you know, um, challenges have, have arisen on the part of different school districts. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, you know, we, we uh, ha- have heard the same concerns that SNA and USDA and, and different people across the country are hearing, and that is that, you know, depending on whether you're high, free, and reduced, um, uh, you know, the type of support that you have from the community and, you know, the diversity, you know, of, of our different communities, that you know everyone faces different challenges mm-hmm. and so you know we we really have have seen that as we uh, and also uh, i think the growth of community eligibility programs and provision two programs where all children uh in school districts are provided free meals at no charge and we see the differences in the performance and and the success that these school districts are having. Um, and so, you know, we, we really feel like, um, you know, there's great opportunity uh, for um, the, the community and legislators to really start looking at our child nutrition programs as an education program. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, um, you know, school meals is no different than transportation and textbooks and that it goes to support academic performance of the students. So, you know, um, that, that was kind of the driver behind the, the op-ed piece that we did. We really feel like um, there needs to be more dialogue related to providing uh, meals to all students regardless of their ability to pay it, no charge, and that that ultimately is going to benefit all of the students, not only from the academic standpoint, but nutrition standpoint, and overall help all school districts be more successful. Mm-hmm. I'd like to add also, yeah. though, that, mm-hmm. you know, as we mentioned, with the $550 million or so that we spend on food itself, mm-hmm. increasing the access to the meals will also help American workers, American businesses, and American uh, productivity as a whole. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and and as part of your, your proposal for for covering what you're called you're looking for universal meal service for everybody you're asking for increased commodity allotment um, which is something we've talked about in this show before there's others who are calling for that so we have an idea um, for the commodities to be increased you know 
we're in a very unique place right now. Mm-hmm. We uh, just redeveloped all of the standards regarding how we offer the food and what kind of components we offer the students. And as Dora mentioned, really re-educating ourselves first mm-hmm. through the new standards that were just impl- implemented. Um, and now, after those new standards have been implemented, now it's about taking it to the next step. So are we going to really see an increase in uh, reimbursable meals? Most likely not. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen now is we... Um, are thinking that it would be very helpful to focus in on the commodity reimbursement formula. Um, school districts around the country basically get around uh, 25 cents mm-hmm. for every meal that they serve in the previous year, mm-hmm. and for lunch only, sorry. And that allotment is what people call USDA foods. Mm-hmm. And that USDA foods allotment is the money that we can spend towards our food purchases within the district mm-hmm. on top of your own food cost, et cetera, that your district is, is shouldering under the full reimbursement. Right, right. So this commodity allotment is specific to food. Um, and what is exciting about the commodity allotment is if we can get that to increase, you know, triple the amount, double the amount, it would really revolutionize what we're putting on our children's plates. And it needs to be that big and that dramatic. But because it's focused on food itself, you're talking about American jobs, American farmers, American packers, producers, and manufacturers, all being a part of that increased commodity reimbursement. Mm-hmm. That because it's so focused on the food itself, um, different from reimbursement, which could go to training and could go to um, disposables and it could go to other parts of right. the costs. Right. Um, this specifically would be on the food itself that we're providing our children. Double or triple. Wow. It needs to be something dramatic. Right, right. And, and, and you know, the other thing that people may not, may not remember, and, you know, back in, in the 90s, we used to receive uh, commodities for the breakfast program. And um, at that time, um, you know, there were some budget, you know, cuts that, um, and, and some, um, um, I guess, different uh, negotiations that occurred during that time to make sure that, that the program um, remained viable, and so commodities for breakfast programs were eliminated. So I, I think reinstating uh, some of the, the com- uh, some commodity uh, value f- specifically for breakfast, but overall increasing commodities is definitely going to improve the quality of of the of the meals that we're able to provide. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that, Dora. It's it's important to remember that right now there is no commodity allotment for breakfast despite the increased requirement for an extra half cup of fruit. So that's, right. that, that's huge. Um, and we have to go to station break in a minute, but before we do, speaking of double or triple, there's one other policy request that you make in that op-ed, and that has to do with the time children are given to eat. What are you guys asking for? Dora, you want to take go, it? Go ahead. Well, you know, right right now, and it's a very every school district, and and really beyond that, every campus uh, in many school districts determines how much time the student gets to eat, and you know, with being able to. Uh, eat more fresh fruits and vegetables. It takes a little bit more time mm-hmm. for students to eat, and so they kind of rush through the through the through the line uh, and and sit down. And as soon as they sit down, they they've got to get back up and start, you know, making room for the next, you know, uh, classroom of, of students that are mm-hmm. going in. So, um, you know, there's there's got to be uh, some consideration to uh, some adequate time for students to be able to eat. And, um, you know, but um, currently, 
um, I, to my knowledge, there is no specific guideline related to how much time students are given. And I think that some consideration to that has to be, um, you know, incorporated into reauthorization in the coming years. Right, right. I, I, ahead, think, um, I think just to add to that, we know the school environment shouldn't mimic the real world in the, in the full sense of it. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. as adults, we're all about productivity. Um, in, the, in the United States, I think that's probably held in very high regard. I think many of us go to bed saying, what did I accomplish today? Mm-hmm. And with students, as Dora mentioned earlier, we're giving books, we're giving transportation, we're giving the best education we can possibly provide. But if you don't give them time to actually savor the food, taste the food, and enjoy the food, and learn how to eat the food, you're going to see, you know, the increase of smoothies and protein drinks and all of this stuff. And all of a sudden, we're not going to know what we're eating or how we're eating or why we're eating mm-hmm. other than for the energy and calories. Right. So they do go hand in hand. It's not just um, it's not just that we want them to have more time to sit in the dining room. We want them to get a full experience in education while they're eating. Right. You sound and like enjoy a who, their meal yeah. <laughs> while they're there. Yeah. I, I was about to say, Steve, you sound like a guy who just came back from France. <laughs> <laughs> Which we are going to talk about after station break. I'm very excited to get to that part of your story. Um, you're listening to Inside School Food. Our guests today are Dora Rivas and Stephen O'Brien, school food service leaders in Dallas and New York City, respectively. When we come back, they're going to tell us about their recent trip to France, which was kind of a pilgrimage. Um, the French do school food really well, so uh, stay with us. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast regional forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome back to Inside School Food. Today we are visiting with Stephen O'Brien of New York City School Food and Dora Rivas of Dallas Independent School District, speaking on behalf of the Urban School Food Alliance. The alliance is comprised of six very big districts, New York, Dallas, Chicago, Los Angeles, Miami-Dade, and Orlando. Um, We're speaking about the change goals these districts have in common and the strategies they have adopted to move the dial on school food reform nationwide. So, Stephen Dora, you just, I'm very jealous, you just came back from Paris. Um, what were you doing there? We had just uh, an amazing uh, opportunity to learn about child nutrition uh, in France. And um, although we would have liked to have spent more more time uh, sightseeing, I tell you, the French embassy kept us 
moving and talking and bragging really about, um, you know, their wonderful program. And, you know, they really value food as part of their uh, French culture. And, um, you know, as we visited schools and as we learned about the programs, you know, we really, um, you know, took away um, how the importance and and the priority that they place on being able to provide a meal in front uh, of the students that uh, it, you know meets their satiety um, and and that is um, uh, prepared uh, you know in most cases uh, almost everything from scratch using fresh herbs. And, you know, one of the things, and I, I know, Stephen, you know, we all, we all kind of looked at it, you know, with different eyes. But, you know, I, I, one of the takeaways is that, you know, one of the, one of the staff there told me, you know, that, um, as par- when, uh, parents talk to their children about growing up, they don't consider them adults unless they learn how to cook. Mm. So not only do they value the food itself, but the preparation. Uh, of the food. And their food education program teaches them to look at the food and teaching them about looking at the food, touching, smelling, tasting the food, and, and incorporating their academic skills as part of teaching about uh, the food. And they teach the food vocabulary, where it comes from, and the economic impact uh, that the that the food has, uh, you know, and and so it, it was just a, a wonderful experience and and a lot of takeaways. Right, right, Dora. I remember when we spoke last week, you described um, basically being in a big room during the uh, Cement Goo, which is the the annual week of of tasting curriculum. Steve, you want to talk about what that was like? Because Dora said you moved from table to table and there was all kinds of stuff going on and it was amazing. Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, the French Department of Agriculture um, were the hosts and Mm -hmm. we really were being hosts on a federal level, Mm -hmm. which was just fantastic. We visited a school um, just outside of France, uh, of Paris, sorry, and we got to really experience the way that their taste education program is working nationally. Mm -hmm. Um, They're taking a new approach on a federal level, uh, only in the last few years, mm-hmm. very much, uh, very, it was a very decentralized approach to the way the food was being prepared and offered to students, mm-hmm. um, until about five years ago when they started to f- sort of create a national campaign. And along with that came this, uh, taste education program, which was fascinating on a lot of levels. Um, not only a- around what the students did themselves, but also how they engaged the principal, the teachers, everyone in the building that a child looks up to mm-hmm. was engaged in this program. Right, right. And so when we went to visit the classroom, uh, the principal and the teacher were going through the things that um, students need to know when it comes to taste. It's not just about the flavor of the food, but there's the sound, you know, there's the way it looks, you know, there's the um, feeling of the product in your Mm -hmm. hands. Mm -hmm. And what was amazing was in about 40 minutes, we were able to watch the students go through different um, experiences with a croissant. Mm-hmm. And so they were crinkling the croissant and holding it to the ear. And then they'd have to write down uh, what they heard, you know, mm-hmm. and then report out to the class what were the sounds that they heard. Mm-hmm. Um, the same thing went for touch. You know, was it soft? Was it flaky? Was it was it sticky? Um, those types of things were all things that were incorporated into the lesson. Right. And so the lesson had vocabulary. The lesson had writing. The lesson had quite a full sort of picture of what they were about to put in their mouth. And right. then at the very end, obviously... You know, the 
piece de resistance was really to take a bite of the croissant and, the other, and then to describe the flavor, etc. Wow. Yeah. And then we went to another session after that, mm-hmm. which was held in a different room, which is where they actually go around to different stations. Mm-hmm. And that's where um, the students would receive, let's say, five different jars of uh, herbs and be asked to identify the herb and describe the herb and to taste the herb. Mm-hmm. Um, in another area, Dora, they had, um, I believe it was uh, uh, carrot soup. Maybe you want they to describe had, uh, that. Two, two types of orange um, uh, soupy mixture. One, one um, you know, they asked them to look at the two orange colors and the texture and to smell it. And one was, was carrots and the other was pumpkins. And then they had to taste the two, um, you know, mixtures and talk about it. And so, uh, and then they had the actual carrots there and the pumpkins so they could see where, um, you know, the product was, was coming from. And, you know, I think one of the things that it did was validate some of our, you know, we have uh, school gardens at in many of our districts. Uh, we also have fresh fruit and vegetable uh, programs where, um, you know, we saw this going on in France, and you know, we 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 have started a lot of these programs in many of our districts, and see that, you know, in in our process of teaching kids about nutrition, we've been very prescriptive, mm-hmm. and and they told us the same thing. They said you eat. In the past, their focus had been eat five fruits and vegetables a day, um, you know, drink milk, you know, eat more dairy products, whatever it is, but it was very prescriptive. And one of the things that they have moved toward is um, they don't even use nutrition in their food education program. They really talk more about teaching them about food and then enjoying the pleasure of food. And, you know, that, that of course, has always been kind of, you know, the friends the French culture and the importance of food and the flavor and their cuisine. And so it's okay to enjoy the pleasure of food as well as giving them time to eat. When we compared and talked about how much time we have them, um, you know, go through the cafeteria line, their jaws drop because they thought one hour of time was not enough for their students. Mm-hmm. And many of ours only get 30 minutes, if that much. Right, right. And that's 30 minutes to get from classroom down to cafeteria through the line. Absolutely. Lines, yeah, all of that. Um, yeah, I, I, you, you also talked to me, Dora, about what you um, observed in the lunchroom. Uh, it, you know, after you, you went through the curriculum, you, you were kind of blown away by what was happening and what the chef had to tell you about food service. Can you want to talk about that a little bit? <laughs> Oh, well, you know, it, it was amazing. And they do have, um, you know, a chef uh, at their schools. And, you know, that that's also, you know, kind of paralleling and validating some of the, the directions that, you know, we're going toward is more culinary training. But, you know, their, their chef walked us through the cafeteria line and, you know, a lot of their food, they took us into their storeroom, many fresh products, uh, seasonings, herbs, um, you know, uh, they had high quality, you know, olive oil. And when we talked to the chef about how much, uh, you know, their food cost uh, is, you know, it, it was double the amount of food cost that, you know, we have to be able to, to serve uh, or to prepare a meal for our students. But, you know, they had choices of 
of salad and, you know, uh, they are moving toward um, pretty much whole meat. They even talked about moving away from even ground meat mm-hmm. that, you know, may not be viable in, in our country. So many of our, you know, dishes are, you know, uh, made with ground meat and ground turkey and they're just as healthy. However, you know, that's they want them to see what a whole piece of chicken looks like, what a whole piece of meat, you know, looks like. And they had calamari on their you know, uh, menu. And yes. so that was quite impressive. And, and they had hot, the, the, one of the, the most uh, interesting is they, they had china and silverware. And uh, they had china plate warmers, you know, as they went through the line. So, uh, it, yeah, it was quite, quite impressive. I think it was also interesting, you know, for me being trained as a chef, I think it was amazing to see a full culinary brigade basically in each of their school cafeteria mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. kitchens. Right. So in their dining room kitchens, you had a head chef and you had the fry person and you had the saute person and the saucier. It was really amazing to see this full staff really looking at it and treating the food with respect. Right. Um, and also with, you know, um, tenderness and love in the sense that when the plate was being presented to the students, you know, you knew that it was a, a home-cooked meal, basically, right, you right. know, and uh, so it, it was just very, very different as far as the whole culture of food, right. you know, so the things we've been describing, you're hearing that, you know, the time given, the lessons given, you know, the the respect for the earth and where the food's coming from, right. <clears throat> all of those things matter. Right, right. And I've heard stories about the, the, you know, the school food chef, the head chef, walking amongst the tables during mealtime, encouraging the children to try things if they're being neophobic, mm-hmm. asking them how's the food, they know, you know, who this person is. So it's, it's very exciting. So, so you know, the question is then, you know, we're, we're not France. Um, yet we obviously really admire what they're doing uh, in their schools. You know, what did you, and maybe this question is premature, but... You know, today, what do you th- consider from your experience? Uh, what did you learn in France that is actionable um, in the short term or in the long term in, in your in your districts? Well, I think yeah, since oh, I left, uh, go ahead, Stephen. I think um, one thing to keep in mind is that you know the partnership is important. You know, the world is becoming a smaller place, and we're feeling it in school food. Mm-hmm. And so sharing amongst nations, um, I think, is very important. There's more um, being written about it, as a recent New York Times article had in it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that's being discussed around what we're putting in front of our children globally. And I think we're learning uh, from each other through this dialogue, uh, how we treat the, the whole environment, how we treat the school, how we treat the meal. All of that matters to the culture of the society and the country. Um what I think was amazing and for us to, to sort of take away as actionable, for me personally, I came from a culinary background, so for me it re-energized me to be focused again on the quality of the ingredients going into our recipes and into our products. Mm-hmm. And that has always mattered to me, and we've certainly taken a lot of leaps and strides in you know the types of foods that we provide students and the additives that go into the foods, and we've reduced a lot of those. Mm-hmm. But um, it took me back to that, and that's something that in my present job, I know will be actionable in the way that I develop products and develop specifications. And that will have large-scale system change um, behind it. Mm -hmm. And then I think we're in a unique situation to to give to France or to anyone else that wants to learn 
about our breakfast program and how we incorporate breakfast into the school day and some of the innovative models that are there. Because they're, they're starting to survey families and finding that students are coming to school with no nutrients prior to the start of the day, mm-hmm. that they've had nothing in the morning. And it's not until that lunch that they get at the school that they're actually getting any nourishment. And as we all know, you need those calories in the morning to be an active learner. Right, right. France says here. And that was yeah, very ahead. fascinating to hear them talk about, you know, how they, they thought it, it very intriguing to learn more about the breakfast in the classroom program that we do. That, that's quite interesting, Dora, because, you know, what I, what, you know, what I was thinking is that France, like here, like every other place in the world, you know, mom isn't at home anymore. Um, so they're facing you know, very similar issues. So, um, and I know, Steve, you told me earlier that, that uh, this, there's a partnership between France and New York City School Food, which you have expanded into the alliance because, as you say, there's practices, believe it or not, that we can teach them in turn. So that's cool to know. Sure. Yeah. Um, so um, I think we're running out of time, guys, which is really regrettable because we could we could go on. Um, but I'd really like to get both of you back on the show to talk about what you're doing in your districts individually. So um, thank you. But thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really a privilege. Um, and, Dora, the next time you're on the show, I hope you can join us in person. Um, most of our listeners. Oh, well, it's a little stretch from Texas to New York, <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> well, you need to know. I went all the way to France, right? right? You need to know that Heritage Radio is housed in um, probably the, the hippest, most progressive artisan pizzeria in Brooklyn, if not all of the East Coast. And, and it's called Roberta's, and Steve is getting lunch after this interview. And, and oh, you are not, goodness. so that's why well, you need to I would, I would look forward to it. I have to say the best part about being in the studio is seeing the children in front of me while I'm speaking. Yes. Because yes. that's why we all do this job, and we're all working for right. our children. Right. We can actually look out into the restaurant. So um, you have been listening to Inside School Food on the Heritage Radio Network. Um, Our next episode will be two weeks from today when we will continue our ongoing conversation about the impacts of rising costs, food, labor, equipment, everything, um, especially where they intersect with the demands of the new regulations under Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act. I'm Laura Stanley, and I look forward to welcoming you back. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 